It's good to be with you this morning to think about some things of eternal nature. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we talked last week about <clears throat> abiding in the vine and the kingdom uh, that God has set up for us and um, how we should act in that kingdom and how that we can produce fruit in His kingdom. One of the passages we read last week was John chapter 8. Uh, I believe we read from verse 21 to 36, but I'd like to pick uh, one verse uh, out of there right now in verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I've been thinking about this lesson for... Um, I guess about a month or so now. Um, <clears throat> June 6, 1944, much of you probably have heard a lot of talk about uh, D-Day, the 75th anniversary from that. And so um, I was listening to a interview of three or four uh, gentlemen that were still living from, that were... Um, D-Day veterans and two of them were medics and to me they had the most um, touching stories of of what they saw and what they did and I don't know I guess it was because of the I guess how they talked about it touching touching all the death touching um, taking care of those men that were bleeding and dying and suffering. They talked about excuse me they talked about um, the body parts that lay upon the beach. They talked about uh, the blood and the water, the smell uh, of death and just all those things around them, and, and one of them made the statement that I've I've been thinking a lot about in a, in the spiritual realm. But he made uh, the comment of the high cost of freedom. And when I think about that, about the the blessings we enjoy in this country in which we live and the freedoms that we have you know none of us were told where to go this morning none of us will be told where to go tomorrow we make all these decisions we have all these freedoms that we enjoy because someone else did something for us someone else paid the cost uh, for us to enjoy these things. And if you think about it, the greater the benefit, the greater the cost to enjoy the benefit. And none, none of the freedoms that we enjoy here in this life as being a citizen of this country came without great cost. And so, um, you know, I got a picture of Arlington Cemetery up there and you just think about the vastness of all those tombstones spread out across across the landscape, and um, 
you just think about the the father that died, the son that died, the brother that died, that never came home so that we could be free. If you look at that, the, the total dead from the Revolutionary War till up to a couple of years ago is around that 1.2 million range. You know, wounded 1.4 and some change. Uh, and of course that total doesn't, I don't think that total accounts for uh, all the dead, just the dead that they uh, could record as being a part of a, a certain war. Um, but I think it's worth us thinking about these things that, that are in the, in the physical realm, uh, about the freedoms that we enjoy here in this country, the comforts that we have, uh, the security that we have to live and move and have families and know that our kids are, are safe. And then think about that in terms um, on the spiritual level. And what, you know, Corey led a lot of songs this morning about Jesus and his death uh, and the, his love for us. You know, uh, the song before the before the Lord's Supper, he came because he loves me. You know, there's no other explanation for what's been done uh, by Jesus than than just love. And if you stay there in John 8, we'll start there in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And so what is this freedom that Jesus is talking about? This freedom that Jesus is talking about is the freedom from sin, the freedom, uh, Evan termed it as forgiveness, from that eternal uh, punishment that we all deserve. If you will turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, I, I'd like for us to read, um, starting in chapter 18, and we'll go uh, through chapter 19. This is, of course, the, the story of, of Jesus and His uh, final hours uh, on this earth. John chapter 18, starting in verse 1, When Jesus had spoken these words, He went out with His disciples over the brook Kidron, where there, was a great, where there was a garden, which He and His disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed Him, also knew the place, for Jews often met there with His disciples. And then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things, that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas who betrayed him also stood with him. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And he asked him again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. 
Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? And the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested him and bound him, and they led him away to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of, the, one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. And Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, you speak, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to, him, said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it, 
put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priest and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this title for the, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So you can you see by this story the things that Jesus suffered. And we know that Jesus was in heaven with His Father. He knew the things that were going to take place. He knew that He was going to be betrayed and forsaken, ridiculed and mocked, spat upon and scourged and beaten, and finally crucified on the cross. All for me and you. All for the freedom that we have from sin that we can enjoy uh, that great blessing. <clears throat> when we think about these things, it ought to it ought to take us to our very core. To to who are we and and what are we doing because of it? Do we feel like we're indebted? Do we feel like we owe anything? And if we do, how should we live? Should we live the same as we lived before? I say not. I don't, I don't think we, any of us can, can look at this, can look at the things that, that Jesus went through, the things that He suffered, and think any of those things. And I, I put some of these pictures on the board to, you know, in our, in our readings, if you read all the Gospels, it just says He was scourged. And that, you know, that doesn't really tell us exactly what that means. We know from the account with Thomas that he had nails driven through his hands. Uh, his hands were nail scarred, as the, as the song uh, we sung that Corey led us through. You know, and the custom, uh, you have to kind of go into history to see the custom of the Romans at the time and how they would do these things, but a scourge would have been a whip with pieces of metal or rock attached to them. And we know that 
and multiple soldiers uh, would have would have beaten him. They would have tied him to some form of a post. He was ripped of his clothing and beaten with these right on his bare skin, on his back. And then that crown of thorns, um, I wanted to bring one in here today. I cut down a locust the other day and in, in the prairie over there. And, you know, I, that's the only thing I got to reference. But, you know, you think those thorns are about that long. Uh, pierce, they pierce your tire if you drive over them. They made a crown out of those and put it on his head and then beat him on the head. And so when you, when you put... You put all these images in your mind. of what he suffered and he suffered them all for each and every one of us he knew that we would sin and the cost of that sin for is the just uh, punishment of that sin is torture for us in hell for all eternity and he, he suffered these things so that he could set us free from what we deserve knowing we wouldn't deserve His sacrifice. And as Romans tells us in Romans 5, while we were yet enemies of Him, He died for us. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 5 and in verse 6, For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, the ungodly being each and every one of us. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. If you flip over to chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, Starting in verse 15, Paul has asked this question in verse 1, and here he asks it again in verse 15, What then shall we, can, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? In verse 1, he asks the same question in a little bit different way. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Both times the answer is, God forbid, or certainly not. Verse 16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have the fruit of holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, then in verse 23, he tells us again, for the wages of sin is death. So our sin, the, the just punishment for that 
is death, is eternal death, is that eternal torture in hell for all eternity. That's what we deserve. Well, what's he say there? But the gift of God is eternal life. How? In Christ Jesus our Lord. So through that cruel death that he died, we are to have freedom from that sin um, and from that punishment of sin that we deserve. And so I, I think, you know, if we if we really give our thoughts and our energy and our mind to these things, we realize that we have a responsibility in response to such a great sacrifice. And so that sacrifice leads us, uh, should lead us uh, to servitude, should lead us towards um, gratitude, should lead us towards a mind of duty that we owe uh, to our Lord. And I guess the question uh, for all of us today is looking at this sacrifice, looking at um, the things that have been suffered on our behalf and for us uh, of an eternal nature, how has it changed your life? Has it changed your life at all? Do you do the same things that you once did? Do you hang out with the same folks you once uh, were around? Do you think about life in the same way you thought about life before? Uh, it should be different. And I, here again, I think uh, such a sacrifice demands a certain response from each and every one of us. Let's turn back to Luke 24. Luke 24. So we've, talking, we've talked about uh, Jesus' sacrifice and the greatness of it. Um, we don't think we can talk about that uh, unless we really talk about Him rising from the dead and that hope uh, that we have because He rose. It was one thing for Him to die, but then He rose. He rose uh, from the dead. We know that He was buried in Joseph's tomb. And he laid in that tomb for three days. And if you look in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they, asked, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. And then we, we read of the, if you carry on and keep reading, we see that Jesus appeared to the uh, guys, the two of them traveling to Emmaus, uh, he appears before his disciples uh, and many, many more. Evan, I, I believe it was Evan at least, in, in an invitation uh, not long ago, read out of 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul really talks about uh, the greatness of the resurrection. 
that if this resurrection had not happened, we don't have hope. Uh, We don't have hope in these promises that were given to us, that we ourselves can also be risen, uh, is what is the point Paul makes. In, In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I will also receive, that, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that He was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And last of all, He was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labor more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then, all, then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all, of all men the most pitiable. And so what Paul is saying here is, you know, we, we learn that Jesus' blood is what washes away our sins. But if Christ did not rise, then essentially God's a liar. And then we have no, no, no hope. Uh, we are of all men most pitiable. Uh, he says we are still in our sins because the power of Jesus rising from the dead uh, is, is what secures that. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 14, it's in the middle of the thought, but I think it, it wraps into what he's saying in chapter 15, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present, present us with you. And so he's given uh, the Corinthians comfort that if, if God was able to raise Jesus... What is He also able to do? He's able to raise us up. He's able uh, to bring us into heaven. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. And so he's telling the Thessalonians here again uh, that that God has the power, uh, He rose Jesus from the dead, and therefore He can raise us. He can raise us um, to be with Him uh, one day for all of eternity. 
And so today I want us to really uh, think about uh, the, the greatness of the sacrifice, the things that were suffered uh, by, by Jesus so that we could be made free, so that we could enjoy uh, the freedom from sin, uh, the freedom from the punishment that we all deserve because we've sinned, uh, the just uh, punishment that we deserve. And think about um, the cruelty of His death, the cruelty of the things that, that He suffered uh, for me and you. And truly realize that those things were for each and every one of us. Those things were for us personally. Jesus did those, uh, suffered these things. Um, it has to be a personal thing. He suffered uh, for me and He suffered uh, for you. He came out of heaven knowing what He was going to suffer. Uh, so the only conclusion you can come to is to stand back and, and think of the love uh, that God has and that Jesus has for each and every one of us and that He He truly wants us to be saved. He wants us to be with Him one day. Uh, if He didn't, he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have suffered all those things if He didn't want it. last passage I'd like for us to read is Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. This is um, one of my more favorite passages in Scripture because it, it really sums uh, everything up uh, in, a, in a few verses for us. It tells us our situation without Christ and our situation with Christ. And our situation, if we submit our will to His will, if we obey Him, uh, the blessings that come with it. Chapter 2 and verse 1, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So here Paul is, is outlining who we all are, that we were dead in trespasses. We were dead in our sins without Christ. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so here we see, again, who we were. We were dead in, in our sins. But what's He tell us there starting in verse 4? But God, is who is rich in mercy, and because of His great love that He has for each and every one of us, uh, He made us alive. He, he makes us um, complete, and He raises us up to sit with Christ if we will only... Uh, submit our will to His and do uh, the things that He would have for us to do. And so today, uh, I want us to, again, think on these things. Think on uh, the sacrifice that's been made on our behalf. And if there's any in the audience today that uh, need to make their life right uh, with our Lord, if that be uh, become a Christian and start your life with Him, or we haven't been living like we should, uh, any of us that are Christians, and 
We need some help from the saints here. Just need some encouragement. Uh, remember, uh, remember that we are here for one another. I ask that you come forward as we stand and sing.